0: How are you all? My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we are right in the middle of a series on joy that we've called Joyful, really kind of embracing a promise that's contained within the book of Philippians, where we can, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter where we are in life, live with joy. And for the past few weeks, we've been uh, really kind of looking specifically at that letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi from a jail cell in Rome and trying to examine kind of what the anatomy, the DNA of joy is. And so we're going to continue in that this week. We have one more week left. Uh, Carrie Weaver, who uh, came on staff with us at the beginning of your preached last week, absolutely killed it while me and my wife were out of town. It's so good to have a church staff that can take care of things, give you a time. It's the first time in almost four years that we got out for personal reasons. But I did get to be at a church last week and we are now kind of building a relationship with a new church. It's a church that just started in Asheville called Ridgeline and we're being able to influence them, help them uh, grow and reach people and in that city, and so uh, it, it was a good time, but we have one more week left in this series, so I've asked Carrie to come back and close it out next week. Carrie's going to speak on how do we keep joy. Many of us have, have experienced joy. We get to that point where we actually have given ourselves, and then we get to uh, this moment, somehow it just fades and goes away, so Carrie's going to speak on that next week, and as we get started today, I want to give a shout-out specifically to a group of people that that need a lot of attention and praise. That's our kids' volunteers. Uh, This morning, right now, we have seven volunteers right down the hall running a series of three worship services for almost 40 kids, 39 kids right now down the hall experiencing wonder in Jesus. Let's just be honest about this. There are many churches in our community that don't have 40 people in them this morning. And we have 40 kids. Isn't that awesome? I mean, and we can do that because we have volunteers who are willing to say, hey, you know what, I'll step out of a service every once in a while so that we can minister in love. We hear from families every week, every week, saying, my kid asks every morning, can I go to church? Is it church day? Is it church day? And so, um, man, that is so awesome. So just big, big thank you if you're a chil- children's worker or, uh, you volunteer at Vortex Kids. Big thank you for that. Now, I... As we get ready to start any series, I'll always love it and um, loathe it a little bit at the same time. Because you guys experience this. You experience this on a Sunday morning because you come in and you hear me talk about it. And you, you have that feeling, that sensation of, of, oh, this is awesome, but ow, that kind of hurt. You ever had that in a message? You ever had that? All right, that's, that's kind of what like a good message does, doesn't it? It challenges us. It forces us to examine. So every time we preach on a topic... I know that I'm going to get tested in that topic as well, which is why we don't do a a relationship series all the time, because I know (laughs) if we do a relationship series, me and my wife are going to have some fights for about three or four weeks. It's just going to be, we're just going to go through it because you're going to go, you go through it, but before, as the pastor, when we preach anything, I've got to do that too. And if we preach on money, it's not uncommon for us to face a financial obstacle and the series of that, anything that we're going through. And so in the past two weeks, i I, I got to be honest with you, I've I've experienced a test when it comes to joy. I've had some, some bad things happen, and I've had some good things happen. My wife taught me if you have bad news and good news, you always give the bad news first. So the bad news is that this week I had to face something many of you have. I had, had my identity stolen, and uh, you, ever, you ever been there? So Many of us have been there before, and, and somehow somebody got a hold of a, a lot of personal information, took a lot of money out of our account, All right, You've been there, and it's a good thing. The bank insures, all that kind of stuff, but, but it, it, it's difficult, and it's frustrating. and it Definitely, it's one of those things I, I say, like, I have to catch up to my joy, you know? Like, <laughs> like I don't know where you went for a few minutes right there. But the good news is, and I've been waiting. I found out about two weeks ago, man, I've been waiting to share this with you. It's good news. Two weeks ago, I got an email. It's from a guy. His name is Omar. He lives in Nigeria. And Omar said, Omar said, you know, I'm writing you to tell you that I've worked inside of a corrupt government for 20 years. And I've been doing what everybody else in our government does. I've been siphoning money off the top. I've been stealing and I've been kind of putting it away, thinking that one day I might be able to run away and use it and live extravagantly. But not too long ago, God got a hold of my heart and gave my life to Jesus. And I went to my pastor and said, Pastor, I don't know, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Let's see, let's see what God says. And he came back to this pastor and said, Pastor, I think God told me that, it, that he wants me to give the money away to be used in ministry. He said, you know, if I go to my my superiors and confess what I've done, not only will I probably be in prison for the rest of my life, I'll probably be executed. So his pastor said, I've heard of this church in America. Why don't you write them? Here's the pastor's email address. $25 million. $25 million. And they want me to come preach one Sunday. And they said all they needed, okay, all they needed was my social security number. So that they could book a flight for me, all right? And they needed uh, a routing number and an account number so that they could—they had to wire the money. Direct—it has not come yet, but we're waiting on it. All right? Isn't that a good thing? Have you ever had that email? Look at this email. This is the email right here. Isn't that awesome? There's some—there's some minor spelling errors in there, but twenty-five million dollars. Isn't that great? Aren't you waiting with me for that? This is going to be so good. You ever been there? You've got that email (laughs) before, haven't you? You've got that email. See, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Sometimes things appear to be too good to be true. Sometimes things appear. And most of us have looked into God's plan for generosity, and we've looked at that and said, that's too good to be true. There's no way. There's no way that's real. And the truth is, is that generally speaking, when things look to be too good to be true, it's because they are too good to be true. And just so you know, I did not (laughs) send my personal information to Omar in Africa. I did not do that. That was all a joke, okay? But many of us have faced that situation where we've looked into something and said, that's too good to be true. So I want to take you to a verse at the very end of Philippians. And this is one of those verses. We look at that and we go, that is too good to be true. Look at this verse with me, Philippians 4:19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all your needs. That's one of those verses that we read it in the Bible and we spin, and it we just kind of stop and zero in on, and we go, There is no way that's real. And many of us. Say that there's no way that that's real because in our own personal life, we go, God, you're not meeting my needs. There are things that I know that I need that I don't have in my life right now. I need a friend. I need somebody that I can lean on, somebody that will love me. I don't have that right now. Some of us have financial needs. And we read that verse and we go, there's no way that this is real. It's too good to be true. Some of us look at other people and we say, hey, I I have a friend. And I know this person loves you. And I know that they're faithful. And I know that they're generous. And they're struggling financially. God, there is no way that that verse is real. It is way too good to be true. My God will meet. All your needs. But see, when we look at the promise that exists in Scripture, this is, I would write this down if I were you. There's always a premise to the promises of God. There's always a premise that exists behind the promises of God. You see, this promise is being written in the context of as it's being written to a church that the Apostle Paul has a relationship with. And this church, this church in Philippi, has been exceptionally generous with the Apostle Paul. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you three observations that come. From the way that this church has been generous so that we can understand the premise that lies behind the promise that God will meet all your needs. See, because that promise is not for everyone. That promise is not for everyone here. If we're not living in the premise behind the promise, the promise is not for you. But I don't know about you, but I want that promise. I want to know that I'm living in the right way, a way that God finds honoring to him so that when I face a need, I know that my God will be there. So what I want to do today is give you three truths about generosity that we find out of this church. The first one is that God promises to reward generosity. God promises to reward generosity. Generosity. I want to spend a, a good bit of time talking about this this morning. Look at Proverbs 11.25. Proverbs 11.25 says this. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. Ooh. Whoever, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. Now, here's the thing. There are many of you out there who are going, man, I just, I need a refreshment in life. Some of us are saying different things. We're saying things like, I just, you know, I need a little bit more attention from my husband. Some of us are saying, I need a little bit more honor at work. I need a little bit more respect in life. I need someone to notice the work that I do behind the scenes. But this... Verse lets us understand something about the things that we want. It's simple. A generous person will prosper. That's not specifically talking about finances. Because then he says, if you refresh others, you will yourself be refreshed. See, when we give attention, we get attention. When we give honor, we get honor. When we give respect, we get respect. And there are many of you who know that you need something, but you are not being generous in that. I saw this in one of my friends His name's Josh. Josh is now a pastor at Seacoast, which is this huge church in South Carolina. It's massive, very influential. They've been very helpful. You met him not too long ago, and we gave to support them. He, He did a video for us. Josh is one of those guys that every time we were in a meeting, he got 8 billion text messages. You ever had that friend? Like, everybody always texts Josh. And I can remember sitting there thinking, man, I just want to be Josh one day. I want people to think about me and text me. I want people to encourage me the way that they encourage him. I want people to to care about me the way that they demonstrate that they care about him. And so I started watching him. And I noticed something that was interesting. Every time he had a spare moment, Josh would take out his phone and he would text somebody. Hey, man, I'm just thinking about you. Just want you to know I'm praying for you right now. Hey, man. I just want you to know God brought you to my mind. I just want you to be encouraged today and know that God loves you. He did that all the time. You see, the amount of attention he gave, the amount of refreshing he gave is what he got. See, God honors and rewards generosity. Jesus speaks about this specifically in Luke 6. Look at what he says. Give and you will receive. Let's just stop there. Let's just stop there. Can you realize that if you're the kind of person that everything that you get stops with you? Financial blessing comes to you, and it stops with you. Love comes to you, and it stops to you. Honor comes to you, and it stops with you. Why in the world would God ever give you more? Why? Jesus says, give and you will receive your gift will return to you in full. And now pay attention to this, because this is where Jesus begins to explode the way that we understand generosity. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together and making room for more. I'm going to come back to that. It will be running over and pouring into your lap. The amount you give will atter- determine the amount that you get back. See, Jesus gives us this understanding that when we make a decision to be generous, to say, I'm going to give attention. I know that my spouse is not being attentive, but I'm going to give attention. I know that, that my, my boss is not being honoring, but I'm going to give honor. I know that, that this relationship that I'm in, this person is not being the kind of, but I'm going to be the kind of person that I know I should be. Jesus shows us something, that when we're generous, the capacity that we have begins to increase. See, we may not be the person right now that has the experience and the heart to really honor the way that God wants us to. Because you've never done it. You've never stepped into trying to look at people and see the best in them. You've never really tried to to say, hey, you know what, I know that you have flaws, but I'm going to love you anyway. But when we start to give honor, give respect, God begins to do, God gives it back. And in his giving to us, he begins to enlarge our capacity to hold it. Press down, shaking together and running over. See, when we choose to be generous, something happens. And now this truth has often been perverted changed in the context of what we would call a prosperity gospel where we say, all right, go." the the church has said, go give because if you give, you'll get back from God. How many of y'all realize that that's selfish? How many of y'all realize that? That's self-motivated. That's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about choosing to be generous in the things of God. And somehow, when we choose to be generous in the things of God, God honors that. And he promises to reward that. So let's look at Philippians 4.14, at what happened here in the Philippian church, and you're going to see an example of something that is vastly different than the kind of generosity that most of us want to practice. Even so, he says in 414, 4.14, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. See, the Apostle Paul was writing the church in Philippi because they sent him a, basically, we can think about it, they sent him a care package and somebody to be on the ground there in Rome to take care of him. So imagine having a relationship distantly with the church, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're in prison, they show up with a basket of your favorite goodies some money to buy you supplies that you need, and somebody who's going to be there to be your liaison in the local community and local government. That's awesome, isn't it? There's one thing, though. The church in Philippi is rather poor. As a matter of fact, we're going to see a little bit later how the Apostle Paul in another letter describes how poor they are. And I think that sometimes... We think about generosity only in the context of our comfort and our abundance, but I want you to see this. Your level of generosity doesn't have to be limited by your level of comfort or abundance. Far too many of us have created ecosystems of generosity. I will honor you as much as you honor me. I will be as kind to you as you are to me. And I will give... If I feel like there's something valuable attached to it. But see, your level of generosity does not have to be attached to your level of comfort and abundance. And it is not specifically in this church in Philippi. He continues on in verse 15. As you know, the Philippians were the ones who gave me financial help when I first brought the good news and then traveled on in Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. He says, listen, when I showed up in your town, you said, here's Paul. We believe in what's going on. We're going to pay him. We're going to support him. We're going to give to the cause of building the gospel and building the church. And then when he moved on, after the church had become rooted and established and he moved to Thessalonica to start another church, they said, you know what? We believe so much in his ministry. We're not going to stop giving now, we're going to continue to give. So I think that sometimes we misunderstand what generosity is, and that's number two. I want you to see this, that generosity is not measured by how much we give, but by how much we keep. Real generosity is not measured by how much we give, but instead by how much we keep. See, I think oftentimes when we start to work with young families that are starting to kind of grow in the Lord and you know that God's plan is for you to be generous, you come and you uh, how much should, should we give? And obviously there's an answer biblically that we attach to that that it's, we call the tithing principle, 10%. And so one of the mo- first most common questions is, what should I tithe on? Should it be my gross income, the, the big paycheck that's before taxes or after taxes in my, my net? And while that's, that's a good question, and it's an honest question, it's not the best question. Because the best question really is, how much do you need to keep? And many of you don't know that I have this friend, but I've been praying for him for a long time. His name is Jay-Z. I don't know if you know who Jay-Z is. All right? Jay-Z is a, a rapper and entertainer. He's worth um, somewhere around $650 million dollars. He's had a rough month of it. His wife, who is, uh, I don't know her name very well. I've only met her a few times, some French name, um, Beyonce or something like that. Um, they, they, she, she did something in, in, in the public that made it look like he was a bad guy over the past month. And he finally, this past week, he gave his life to Jesus. He called me and said, hey, Kevin, I realized that I don't need all the money that I have all the extravagant life. He said, so here's what, I believe in what you're doing. And so what I want to do is I want to give an opportunity for about uh, 50 people in your church to quit their jobs and for the next five years to make a difference in the world. I'm going to give you $5 million apiece. $5 million apiece to fund them for the next five years. So we have checks ready. Who wants to sign up for that? See, if you got that gig, the first question that you would ask, if you were doing that right, here's $5 million, go make a difference in the world. The first question that you would ask would be, how much do I really need to keep out of this to live for the next five years? That's the first right question. See, the thing is, is that you don't realize that most of our families, in the course of your earning lifetime, you're going to go through millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Why do we keep asking, how much should I give instead of, how much do I really need to live on? How much do I really need? Because we can make a huge difference when we invert that process and start to think about generosity, not by how much I give, but by how much I keep. They I want to give you some directions when it comes to how we should give. And you're going to see that the, the church in Philippi gives us a great understanding of this. But just so you understand the way that we should give when it comes to the stuff that we give out of our income, the first thing that we need to do is we need to give to the church. As a matter of fact, Malachi 3, which is a great chapter, if you ever wonder what God's plan for giving is, gives us great instruction. In Malachi 3, in verse 10, it directs us that the very first thing we need to do is we need to take our tithe to the storehouse so that ministry can happen out of the church. The church is God's tool on the face of the earth to change the face of the earth. And so when we're involved in a church, when we believe in a church enough to attend it, to serve in it, God instructs us to give to it and to give 10% and to do that first. Now, I'm just going to give this. I'm not going to do this in the next service, but I I just want, I feel like I need to do this right now. I want you to understand why first matters, all right? I don't have enough time to get into this, into the kind of entirety of the scripture, but when we give first, okay, when we give first, what we give first to in the succession of the way we give is what we are looking to to say bless what is left so let me just ask you this question if you give to the bank first does the bank have the capacity to bless what is left no all right If you give to a car payment, or you give to fun, or you give, if you give that first, does it have the capacity to bless what is, it does not. And I've said this before, the instruction of God to give 10% first is the most generous and gracious thing that he could ever do because many of you every month are spending over 100% of what you make. And so God says, I want you to understand when your pay period starts, what is 100%? You need to know what your 100% is before you can factor 10%. Give it to God first. He blesses the other 90%. The second place that we need to give as instructed through Scripture is we need to give to family members that are in need. As a matter of fact, this is addressed specifically in 1 Timothy 5.16, where the Apostle Paul, writing to a young Timothy, says, I hear, instruct your people to be generous in their family, to take care of their families. If they have family members that are in need, help them to meet their needs. The third place that we need to give, above and beyond a tithe, is that we need to give to those who are in our church that are needy. Now, there. this is one of the reasons that we encourage you so much to get plugged into a small group. Because over and over and over again, we find out that people who are plugged into small groups, when they face those moments, when things are going south and going south quickly, they have a group of people around them who stand up and say, hey, you know what? We're here for you. You can't pay your power bill this month. We will help you do it. Because you're doing life together. And the... Fourth, and the final place, is that we need to give to needy causes that exist in the world, outside of our family and our church. Let me just give you some advice. When you do give to a cause, make sure that you research how much of the money you give goes to the cause that you're giving to, and how much goes to the administration of that organization. Because you're going to find that there are a lot of slick-looking organizations where a large percentage of what you give goes to administrative overhead and advertising. So, what happens if we invert that process? And many of us do. We say, I'm giving my 10%, but you're giving your 10% to good things that exist outside of the church, not being generous to family members that are in need, especially church family members. What happens? What happens to that family that's here? that we don't have the money to take care of them. There's nobody that they have a relationship that can be there to help them through a difficult financial time. What happens to them? They get like many families you know, they get hurt and they walk because the church wasn't there when they needed it. What happens to a family member that's in your family that you have the means, God has provided it, He, you have excess to take care of them and you don't? What happens? Somebody else has to, don't they? We rely on the government. Let's just be honest. So much of what we think the government should do, the church should be doing. Then what happens if we aren't tithing? What happens in the church? And it's happened in many churches, especially in our area. Ministry stops. That's what happens. Ministry stops and you get to that point where you're just trying to pay the light bill. See, God's plan is that we fund ministry. Ministry. That we give generously to family members that are in need. We take care of church family members that are in need, and then, then we give to noble and good causes. And see, I think many of us think, who could do that? Only a rich person could pull that off. And we preached a series not too long ago called "How to Be Rich." I think in that, many of us realize that we are, we are rich. But the church in Philippi was not as a matter of fact, in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, the Corinthian church, which is kind of like our church in the context of the world, a wealthy church, a church that had it all, that was in the glistening bright city of Corinth, a church that was filled with people who had means and education. He wrote to them to describe (laughs) what happened when he was with this group in Philippi. Because they were all collecting money for something that was going on way away from them. To do a missions project together in this church, because they were wealthy, had promised a lot of money. So he wrote them this. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Now I want you to know what God has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now, earlier in the passage that we read out of Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul told us that the church in Philippi was in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles. And I don't know if you're here today, and that's where you are. You're being tested by many troubles. And they are very poor. But look at this. But they are also filled with abundant joy. Which has... Overflowed into rich generosity. I just want you to know this. I'm just going to press pause on that passage right there. That when our lives are fully surrendered, when we embrace joy, joy always overflows into generosity. Joy always overflows into generosity. You're looking at a church that's in the middle of a crisis. They're in the middle of troubles. They have no means. They're poor. And he says, I want you to know what happened here. Because out of their abundant joy, they they overflowed into rich generosity. Look at as he describes what happened. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And they did more than we had hoped. For listen to this, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to. Now I wasn't planning on sharing this, I remember this moment in September of 2012 when we had literally risked everything to do this. We had banked on being able to have enough money in our savings. We had saved for years. And at the end of September in 2012, when our church was one month old, we did not make enough money that month to cover our expenses. And we had $400 left in our savings account. I want you to know that when you get to a place where you realize that you can give yourself to God, that somehow you stop asking the question, what do I need to give? And you start asking the question, what can I keep? Because you realize that God can take what you give and do something that you could never do with it. And we believe that God wanted us to do this so much that we were willing to go broke doing it. And look, in the last few years, hundreds of people have given their lives to Jesus. Many of you share that testimony. So I want you to see number three. When we are sacrificial in what we keep, the kingdom of God advances and our lives become more attractive. See, I was thinking this week that I don't think it was God's plan ever for the gospel to spread through billboards or church signs. Because God's plan has always been that the gospel would spread through people, through lives. Lives that impacted people that were around them. And I want you to look at what the Apostle Paul says about the church in Philippi, in Philippians 4.18. He said, at this moment, because of what you sent me, I have all I need and more. I'm generously Supplied with the gifts you sent me with Ephroditus. Look at this. They are a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. What happens when we become that person that says everything that comes to me stops with me? What happens when a pond gets stopped up? When a river gets stopped up, it smells bad. But the Apostle Paul looks and says, your generosity is a sweet-smelling sacrifice. There's something attractive about who you are now. And when we become generous, there's something attractive about our lives that as it's lived out in front of the world, the rest of the world goes I I don't know what's different about them, but I want that. See, God says in Philippians 4.19 that he will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And that's when we, as, as people who love him, choose to be just like that church in Philippi. But I want you to understand that he's already taken care of the most important need that you have the need that opens and unlocks the door for you to be that kind of a generous person. And that's that he gave you the gift of his son, Jesus, so that the things that are broken inside of you, the things that don't line up with his word can be reconciled and made right. And today, if you're that person, you realize God's calling me to a new level of generosity, not just financially, but a level of generosity in the way that I honor people, the way that I respect people. If th- God's calling you to that today, I want you to understand that when we confess our sin, God comes in and heals us and gives us the opportunity to live in his newness. So let's pray. God, we just thank you. God, we thank you that you've never left us to ourselves, that you've always been so faithful and generous, God, that you've already made the sacrifice, you've already made the payment, the down payment for us to live in the fullness of all that you want for us. And so, God, today, when we look at the level of generosity that we're living in, God, let us be reminded that you want us to live generous the way that you have been generous to us. God, you gave us your son when we didn't even respect you or honor you. You gave us a new shot at life through him. So today, God, some of us are thinking about where we are with you. Well, we just ask you to come and do what only you can do in this place in the name of Jesus. With every head bowed and eye closed, let me ask you a question right now. Are you that person that's here today and you know I need to get things right between me and God? I haven't been fully embracing this gift that he wants to give me in his son Jesus. If that's you, and you know that that's you, This is that moment where you get to make a decision, where you get to say, hey, God, I'm here. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of doing this stuff my own way. God, I'm here today to surrender to you. So who is that today? All I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hand. Just raise your hand. God, I'm here today to surrender. I see that hand. Who else? Who else is here to say, God, I'm tired of running. God, I want to surrender to you. Who else is here? Awesome. I see that. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and I want many of you just to be honest with yourself. Is God calling you to a new level of generosity today? If he is, what I want you to do is raise your hand right now as a commitment. God, I'm going to be generous the way you want me to. Raise your hand if that's you. God, I'm going to be generous the way you want me to. Awesome. So, God, thank you for this invitation to live with generosity. God, we just ask you to come and rescue our hearts, ransom us to yourself. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.